What's up? Thanks for listening to the Bulldog Madness podcast. With you as always, I'm Darnay Tripp alongside Evan Klossier. What's going on, Evan? What a B. Uh, so <laughs> okay. Uh, Noted. So uh, we were running on a bit of a time crunch. This week is a, uh, it has been a blur. Um, so we got about 25 minutes with you. Uh, we're going to cover as much as we can, as in-depth as we possibly can during that time. Because uh, there is certainly a lot to cover, I, I think we'll just start right off the bat by acknowledging the fact that, uh, boy, this Gonzaga team looks pretty good right now. Yeah, I would say so. And, and you went down to Vegas and was able to see that team firsthand shooting uh, a ton of games, uh, both for the men and the women. Uh, but this Gonzaga team, when they are motivated, which is what they were for the second and the third game of that tournament, they are, in a, they are just a force to be reckoned with. And cannot say enough good things about Killian Tilly during this tournament. Cannot say enough good things about Jonathan Williams during this tournament. Those two have just been peaking at the right time. And that's a big reason why this squad is having so much success. Not to mention, they are starting to figure it out defensively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Tilly. 13 for 14 in the tournament from three-point range. I saw somebody tweet out another stat, basically uh, showing that he's been shooting the ball at a ridiculous clip um, for a longer period of time. Think, I think since Valentine's Day, uh, he's like like 75%. It's crazy. It, it's uh, just a silly statistic. So, yeah, you're right. And You mentioned Jonathan Williams. He is a walking double-double, and uh, it's it's good to have something that you can kind of just rely on game in and game, game out. And for Jonathan Williams, it's great defensive effort and a double-double. Uh, he's not going to necessarily blow you away with 20, 25-point games. Um, you know, he'll, he'll throw those in on occasion, but more than anything, it's just kind of a workman like 12 and 14, 10 and 13, 11 and 15, that type of effort. Uh, and Mark Few gave him a ton of credit uh, after the games this week, as he should. But I think if you look at just kind of the well-rounded team effort, everybody seemed to have their moments. Uh, you know, Silas didn't have huge games, but he does so much for you offensively. <clears throat> Corey Kispert, another guy that... Uh, didn't necessarily do anything that jumped off the page, but you look down the list of guys. Killian obviously did his thing. Jonathan Williams did his thing. Zach Norvell did his thing. Uh, he, I, I just he, he might be the most important offensive piece for them because he just has that fearlessness about him mm -hmm. that I think other guys thrive off of, and he can create headaches for the defense with the way he obviously shoots the ball. He can kind of get in the lane and make things happen. But I, I just think the the attitude he brings to the table I think is so big for them offensively. And Josh Perkins as well. I think you have to acknowledge the fact that Perkins had a terrible shooting night against BYU. I think it was one for seven from three. Mm -hmm. And we've seen games where that starts to get in his head a little bit. And maybe he's not as effective as a result of that. Instead, he scored, I think, 14 points. I want to say eight assists to one turnover. Had a great floor game. Uh, ran the offense beautifully despite his shot not being there. And I think when Perkins is shooting the ball great, it makes things difficult in a lot of teams. If he's able to weather the storm on a rough shooting night, be effective going to the hoop and getting other teams, other players involved, uh, that's a, kind of a nightmarish situation for opposing defenses. Yeah, and I do want to correct myself. Killian Tilly since Valentine's Day, 22 for 26 from the three-point wow. land, 85%, not 75%. Yeah, don't, uh, don't short him. Don't short him, seriously. Give him I mean, his credit. He is just been on fire but yeah I mean Perkins is so important to this team especially because 
they really don't have another commander at guard. I mm-hmm. mean, if he gets into foul trouble, it's Silas Melson. The, Norvell. Uh, the, yeah, Norvell. The, but the offense just looks different. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he just – he is a vital piece. And, of course, he's a polarizing piece because, I you know, we know a lot of Gonzaga fans who understand when he's having a bad game, it's going to be one of those games. Mm-hmm. And things get a little helter-skelter, especially down the stretch in recent history as far as – what he's done with the ball when things are crunch time. Not so much this year. No. I think he's really turned a leaf as far as that goes. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of pressure on him to be some sort of a, a th- at least a three-point shooter. Right now he hasn't had to do that. I mean, with Killian Tilly playing the way that he's playing, yeah. not to mention Rui is as comfortable as ever, not to mention Jonathan Williams. I mean, the front court has really emerged as the backbone of this team. Yeah. Whereas earlier in the season I think it was – Perkins needed to generate the offense to then mm-hmm. get that front court moving, but there, there's no stopping that. Like yeah. Rui, Rui doesn't shoot many threes, but he can stretch you out as as far as jumpers go, and he's just so versatile with his game. But Tilly as well, I mean, he's working it from all angles right now. Yeah. And even Jonathan Williams can play out there, and especially defensively, which is important when you go up against a super athletic team. Like, not that anyone can really handle DeAndre Ayton on their own. Right. But at least you know that Jonathan Williams will be able to hold his water as far as Ayton going beyond the three-point arc or or even for a jumper. Like, that's going to be fine. That's no trouble. Ayton's going to have to work his way in, and then you're going to have to draw the double, which is something that I think Jock Landell has helped Gonzaga figure out. But I go a little bit off the beaten path there. Um, just all around, I mean, it's tough to nitpick what we saw, and of course, we can talk about the first game against LMU where they just kind of looked eh, bored. But I don't it know. just I just don't put much weight. Like yeah. I just didn't. Care. A lot of people were like, "Oh, they can't be like that." And it was just like you know, it's not a game to be excited about. And they they turned it up in the second half. Yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna say that they should just be lazy. Well, I mean, they haven't. But I mean, that that game has been their mo all season long. Yeah. The way that game played out was. Uh, you saw that throughout the course of the WCC regular season. So that, to me, wasn't a shock. I think the surprise was the way they turned it on against USF and the way the BYU game after 27-27 was never a game. And so, that, to me, that's that's what's most encouraging, and that is what stands out the most, the fact that they did click it into high gear on both ends of the floor. Their defensive performance the first half of the second half was crazy, holding them to four points the first uh, eight plus minutes or something like that to start the second half. I mean, that's just crazy against a yeah. BYU team that year in and year out, they hang their hat on what they can do offensively. Yoli Childs was great in the first half. Elijah Bryant did some good things. Um, and then you have a guy like TJ Hawes. They have very capable offensive weapons and they turned them over. They contested shots. Uh, they forced them to shoot a low percentage. I mean, it was just a, a masterful performance, and few said it after the game. Like, that was the key for us. I mean, they could score until, um, you know, the, the cows come home. I couldn't think of a better yeah, I was going to – the, there's, the, there's another line. I couldn't think of it. Um, just an interesting choice. Uh, you haven't heard that? We've all heard that I, one. I mean, I've heard We've it. heard just, that one. It's been a while. It's been a little while. Um, <laughs> nobody under 65 has ever used that line before <laughs> until just now. Um, but you have to get stops. And the the St. Mary's loss is a perfect example of that. Uh, it wasn't an issue of them not scoring enough. I mean, they had a lull late in the game, and that, that did they them in. They were efficient in that game, that, the The late lull did them in, but it was more so just St. Mary's had their way. And in that BYU game, after the first half, they gave up. 
nothing. And that's your formula right there. You play lockdown defense. That's the thing. Every coach ever has said it. Defense travels. You can hang your hat on that. Regardless of whether or not shots are falling, you can put in effort on the defensive side of the ball. The formula for them is doing that. Uh, They always talk about scouting reports, attention to detail, whatever the assignments are defensively, uh, locking in on that. And they did that, particularly the last two games. And then the offense will come around, especially when you have so many weapons. You think about the BYU game. Throughout the tournament, I don't think you ever got a ton from Corey Kispert. And in the BYU game, you didn't really get anything from Rui Hashimura, and it didn't matter. And Rui was one of – he was a spark in the first half and ended up, I think, with 17 points against USF. You take a guy like that that can be so impactful and is such a matchup nightmare – and he is a non-factor against BYU, and that ended up being the most convincing performance of the tournament. Yeah, and you know what? It helps when you have someone who is as hot as Killian Tilly, and you can just feed him the ball and just let him roll with it. Not to mention Norvell. He they, shot it great. I mean, he didn't shoot uh, 92% over three days, but he shot the ball great. Yeah, and I think that this is the best the offense has looked since that PK-80 tournament. Yeah. And the, as you mentioned, the difference being is the defense. But what we saw in Vegas, I mean – you play the way you did against USF and BYU. You're in the second weekend. There's sure. no doubt in my mind. Yeah. That's what I say when it comes down to what Gonzaga team we're going to see. And it's they're peaking at the right time. I mean, they have, what, a 14-15 game winning streak right now. 14. 14 game winning streak. So there's no reason to think that that won't carry over. Yeah. You know, and, and a little bit. I know that the uh, the players were talking to you after the game about being slept on. And, and they have that chip. Yeah. You know, they, they, they understand that no one's talked to and, – and, again, we re- referenced a piece that I did a couple weeks ago about no one respecting this team. They know that. Yeah. They absolutely know that. So it's nice to have a national championship team yeah. from a year ago bring over some players that are pissed. Yeah, that, has, that, that saltiness about them. I, I, I asked Perkins just about the confidence that this team has going into the NCAA tournament. It's obviously super high. And Norvell talked about we have confidence in everybody. Like, everybody he sits – uh, around in a huddle or looks out in the court like he believes that person can make the shot or do whatever they need to do. Um, and we kind of touched on that last week, just the confidence that from an outside perspective, like you don't look at anybody on the team and necessarily wonder about them. And if they have that in the locker room, that's obviously even more impactful in your seat on the court. But Perkins said, not only do we have the, the confidence, we still have the chip. Um, and for what it's worth, you know, this isn't a team – you don't have to worry about them being complacent because not only do they feel great about where they're at right now, they still feel like they have something to prove. And I think they're going to carry that with them as deep as they can possibly go because uh, they're going to want to they, – they know they're always going to be stacked up on their predecessors and what they did. Mm-hmm. And they've heard about it all year. They heard about it in the preseason, the way they're underestimated. And so nothing short of getting back to that point or winning the whole thing, they're not going to be – pleased with that now that's a super tall task but I think it's good to know going into the tournament you're not looking at a team that is like okay we've we've done this thing now the rest is gravy yeah and let it be clear that you you know in recent memory at least look at North Carolina last year you know they, they lose to Villanova in the national championship they make it back I think back to the Butler days you know and I'm using a mid-major at that point which is very similar to Gonzaga yeah. But Butler was an eight seed that year yeah. when they, they ended up losing in both national championships. But uh, no one, everyone kind of thought, like, maybe they can do it, but I don't know. Yeah. And then they just wrote all that. There is something to be said about players being in that Final Four moment. Uh-huh. And there are a lot of teams, as I've mentioned, who don't 
have experience in the tourney or are going to be wide-eyed. Yeah. And this team has pedigree. It's just, like it's just going to come down to them performing the way like the teams that we saw this weekend i say they sail into the second round if we see the team that played against byu or against st mary's and moraga that's a final four team that is a final four squad and i will not be shocked if they were to make it to the final four because they have that potential it's the matter of being on your game on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball which has always been well, you know, one has been iffy, the other one's been iffy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and it's going to be interesting because, you know, instead of being a one last year, they're going to be a four yeah. this year, most likely. And uh, that's, you know, my assumption is that they're going to be a four. If they get job, they're going to be a five. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do think that – I, I think they're going to be a four. I think they're going to be in Boise. I think those are going to be um, – I think that's going to be their destination. And, of course, going to Boise is going to help them with a – a large contingency, you'd assume. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see if Arizona is a four as well because yeah. if they're not and they get bumped down to a five or if Gonzaga gets a five and Arizona's the four, we can pretty much pencil them being in that yeah, round two game yeah. if both teams would win, obviously. Yeah, uh, I do want to get to the bracketology stuff in a second, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't had a chance really just to kind of scour the web and see what projections look like. And it, it is – it's – you know, to some extent, a meaningless exercise at this point when there's still so much work to do. But I, I, I always find it interesting just to kind of gauge where they're at in every step of the way. And this obviously is is an important phase in that. I did remember what line I was looking for, Evan. Say it until you're red in the face, not until the cows come home. Not until the cows come home. Red in the face. I just came to me. Um, I'm just wondering when you dealt with cows. Never. Never. I've just heard that line before. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the the tricky thing is, and Fuse said it after the game, like if we can bottle what we did this weekend and take it to the tournament, then we're going to be in good shape. It's never that simple, um, unfortunately. And, you know, we talked about last year with the uh, the close call against North or Northwestern. You know, teams are going to be game. You never know who's going to be in your bracket. You never know who's going to be playing well. And so – uh, do maybe when we talk about their ceiling and we've talked a lot of the year like okay maybe it's a lead eight now yeah I mean like you said final four doesn't seem that much of a long shot if they're playing to that level and again we've talked about this a million times the volatility across the country I think the last two times we've recorded this podcast one of the nights UNC lost mm-hmm. the other night Duke lost yeah. and uh, that's just how it's been I know UNC was on the ropes early against Miami tonight um they're leading by one and a half so they they picked it back up yeah so uh it's just it's going to be crazy to see what plays out over the course of the next few days as conference tournaments wrap up and then what kind of carnage you see the opening weekend of the ncaa Mm -hmm. tournament but i think right now and we touched on it last week if we had a figurative volatility scale Gonzaga is has gone in a month or less from being one of those teams that you look at as you know, you know, way far on either end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, from super high level to could lay an egg. Now you're looking at a team that, as you said, has the potential to play at a Final Four level, and on the flip side, hasn't necessarily shown the weakness. And even in the game like LMU, because they've done it all season long, the knock on last year's team was who's who's tested them. Yeah, and the only team that had in recent memory was BYU when they lost that game. Yeah. 
this year, they don't have to worry about that at all. No. They get into a close game in the first round, any point in the second weekend going forward, they've been there before. Mm-hmm. They've been in those grinders like we saw them in against South Dakota State, North Dakota State in previous tournaments. And they've, they've been in those types of games, and somebody stepped up. Uh, you you kind of mentioned with the big men. That's often been the case. Uh, Killian Tilly and Jonathan Williams and Rui Hashimura just end up being too much and too versatile and too dynamic for teams in those in kind of the home stretch of the game there's just too many options and then especially when they're playing good defense you just feel very very good about the their steeliness and probably steely probably a, a certain comfort level in those types of grinders because they've been in them before and they've found ways again and again, with the exception of that St. Mary's game, they've been very, very good in closing out games where it is very much in doubt through the course of the second half. Yeah, and, and I also want to mention that players like Killing Tilly and Rui Hachimura have played on an international stage. You know, they've played in big environments despite, not to mention we, we've talked about Killing Tilly making those two huge free throws last year in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rui played in that West Virginia game. But regardless, those guys have played in big moments and I just don't see anybody in this team even Zach Norvell a freshman like maybe Corey Kispert gets caught up in it he's such an emotional guy I can see him getting those Norvell is the guy I worry about the least that's what I'm saying Norvell is like as I think I mentioned last week like he's like Clay Thompson-esque where it's just like a brick wall you're talking to him he's just like yeah shoot yeah, I think it's going. But in. he's got—he's more emotional. No, he is more emotional. You saw him pumping. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm just saying attitude-wise, pumping his fist against USF. He was chatting with Elijah Bryant. He mm. hit that step-back jumper in the first. I asked him about it. I was like, "You said something to Elijah Bryant," mm. and he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, those—I think Bryant had said something in Provo, and they had you know developed a little bit of a, a rivalry and a little bit of history. And he's just got that—you know—it's a shy town in him. He's got that that edge about him, that confidence and that fearlessness. And that goes back to my point why I think he's so important to this team, because I think not necessarily last year's group, but I think there were, since this run started in 2013, Nigel had a a different sort of that type of thing about him as did Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews is just like a silent assassin. Yeah. But the, the fearlessness, the fieriness, the love for the big stage, the way he played against Villanova, uh, the you know he, he's never shot, seen a shot he doesn't like. I, I think he's a unique player in recent Gonzaga history that I think can be so important for them once you get to the stage of the season, just as he was at Vegas. Yeah, and I think that uh, Zach Norvell is still the guy who I want taking the last shot. To be honest, uh, he's just got the mentality. I think that he he shows up in those big moments. I think in the flow of the game, sometimes he puts up some shots where it's like you know you're not in rhythm and you know. Don't force it, and you know I don't really care to be honest because you're gonna get you can get some bad shots with Norvell, but most of the time you want him shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think that Norvell is on his way to probably being like a 23, 24 point per game scorer by his junior year, like maybe even a little like I mean he might touch like 18, 19 next year. Like this dude, when he I mean he's. His three-point percentage is, like, really bad, actually. It's, like, 36% or something. I mean, he, he's not very efficient from deep. Right. But, but I mean, he's shooting it now, though. No, like, no, no, right like, now. No, right now he's been good. But yeah. I'm saying, like, throughout the course of the year, like, his percentages are actually mm-hmm. not the best. So imagine what's going to happen when he gets another year under his belt, more shots being put up, and, like, that if that gets, like, 40%, it's, like, 
with the way that he finishes and creates shots, yeah. he is so smooth around the rim. It's unreal to see. And I'm pretty convinced that if Mark Few didn't have the team that he had last year, Norvell would have never redshirted. That team was so stacked that they oh, yeah. just had to redshirt him. But yeah. they, uh, I mean, he is really a gem. And this can be his coming out party to the country in March Madness saying, who's this kid? He's going to be something one day. The, the thing that's interesting, I was talking to somebody else about this earlier today, is you look at, I, I kind of think with him and Corey Kispert, they're probably four-year guys. Now, maybe if Norvell just goes on a ridiculous tear some season, I just think in terms of, because you don't look at him and think like the freak athlete. And a lot of times yeah. it's like the freak athlete that gets the the potential or a guy like Zach Collins, who's a seven footer, great defensive player can step out and shoot the threes. I don't know that Norvell necessarily fits the mold of an early entry guy. So if he and Kispert are four year guys, how terrifying is that combo in three seasons yeah. as good as they've been already uh, and we're getting ahead of ourselves here but just thinking about the future of this program the type of guys that they're getting uh if if those guys are the type of four-year players that you have on your roster and we're seeing what we're seeing as freshmen uh you the the continual upward trajectory of this program is uh something to behold and with guys like that in tow, there's there's no sign of it ever taking a step back. No, and 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 that's a great transition in all the the Mountain West Conference talk that we've been having. I do want to quickly touch on bracketology. Um, I'm pulling stuff up right now. Yeah, uh, if you go to the bracket matrix, that's something I look at. Uh, it essentially compiles all the bracketologists in italicize and in quotes, and and collects all the data and then formulates it to where their average is. Right now, Gonzaga is 17th for the bracketologists, which means they're right on the edge of that five and that four. Uh, with a couple of the more reliable brackets that I've looked at, it seems like Gonzaga is a four. Um, and I, I tend to believe that they should be a four. It's I just want to know if the committee punishes them for having 22 games in Quadrant 3 and Quadrant 4. It's a lot of games. I understand that. The WCC bottom feeders were terrible. You scheduled six non-conference games that were rough. You know, it just, it's the way it goes. But as far as, you know, non-conference schedules go and, and scheduling the six games that you had and the tournament you played in, and, I mean, you're still 5-2 and two in Quadrant 1. And you're still two and two in quadrant, or three and two in quadrant two. So you have a combined eight and four record in quadrants one and two. You have the road win at Moraga. Um, you have the road win at BYU, which is now a thing because BYU jumped in the RPI. Uh, the road, the road's record is great, and I just think sometimes that the committee probably has to use a little common sense and say, is this team a four or a five? And Gonzaga's first off. They're better than a four. But yeah. as far as resumes go, they are certainly a four. And if they're a five, it's like, 
Jeez, I mean that's just a yeah. Somebody is tweeting uh, that would be the best five in NCAA tournament history. I mean that's that's scary. L- yeah, looking at some right now. Lenardi currently has them, and again we're recording this. What is it? Thursday? Thursday night. Uh, Lenardi no has had them strong in San Diego for a while, but he's got them in Boise as the four against South Dakota State, a rematch there with, you're going to love this, a second-round potential matchup against Ohio State. Kansas is the one there. I don't even think that. They, see, he does that stuff, and it's like, you know, did he really remember that they played each other? Because, you know, they don't like to do rematches per se in the year. But, I mean, that would be a great matchup for Gonzaga if they had that. I mean, they've, yeah. already, they've already beaten South Dakota State one time before, and they've beaten Ohio State one time before. The mental games are already there. Yeah, CBS Sports has them against uh, Loyola of Chicago as the five in the Midwest with the four seed being Wichita State. Yeah. Um, Which, you know what, I think that Wichita State, again, this is all assuming that Arizona also gets a four and they win the Pac-12 tournament. I think Wichita State would be a nice little duo in a a Gonzaga pairing. Mm -hmm. They get the little rematch. Um, You know, I, I... that would be a very good game. Uh, you know, but I, I just want to, again, I mentioned Arizona. I think that's a, a very popular pick to be a five in Gonzaga's side or vice versa, Gonzaga being the five and Arizona being the four. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, that's a really tough task. I think that Gonzaga would be able to actually manage DeAndre Ayton. You can't stop him. you got to manage him. Yeah. And then you're essentially hoping that, you know, Rawls, uh, uh, Alkins – Alkins and uh, and Trier just you know you put Nelson on one of them, and you just kind of deal with the rest. Then you yeah. play team defense. I mean you just you know I, they really don't have that many tricks. They got Ristic too, who's another big guy. But um, yeah, I mean their size would be a problem. But um, yeah, the, the tricky thing is there's as much as we've talked about opportunities for programs to hurt their own cause this time of year. There's plenty of opportunities if you look at the rankings for teams uh, to bolster their resume in the coming days. And th- those teams that are in Gonzaga's neighborhood with the conference championship or a deep run, all the teams in the ACC that could make runs, uh, Big 12, teams in the SEC like Auburn and Tennessee that have had some highs and lows with the conference championship, what does that do for them? So, uh, you know, I- I've talked a bunch about them possibly moving on to that three line, which they would certainly be deserving of, but there's also, you know, enough of a log jam and teams with similar resumes uh, that could get a little bit of a boost in the next few days and bump them, at least keep them at a four or bump them to a five. But it's just, I mean, that's about as scary a five seed and would seem if, you know, we can, we can look at, you know, matrices and quadrants and spreadsheets. Um, I'm a little bit old school and like, what are they, what do they look like on the floor? And can you really look at this team and say five seed? That seems crazy to me right now. Uh, but that's for the committee to figure Mm -hmm. out a point I've made in the past. And, um, sadly we're winding down on time already, but we, I don't know how much it really matters with this Gonzaga team. And I think that's another good thing with this, with this group and with Mark few and his approach with this type of thing, they just don't, get caught up in it and the tournament is all about how you're playing and the matchups and you know the guys always talk about these two game one week tournaments and just 
advancing through each one every step of the way each weekend. And whether there are three, whether there are five, it'll have some impact on the matchup of the quality of opponent that they'll play. Uh, but those numbers only mean so much at the end of the day. If you're talking a difference from a two to a seven, uh, that could be a huge deal. But I, I think this Gonzaga team and the program, the way Mark Few does things, they're not going to get caught up in that. If this past week is any indication, they're going to be playing great ball, uh, you know, the level of a, a potential two seed uh, going into the tournament. So it's you know, line it up on that day and, and see where you're at. The, the numbers and the seeds and the matchups as interesting as they will be. And I'm sure we'll get sucked into that and there will be some intrigue there. Uh, but th- this team has just, again, the steeliness and the confidence about it. Uh, as motivated as they are, uh, the seed, we, we can bicker about it as much as we want. I just don't know how much it really matters. It does really matter and, and I want to touch on this quickly so we can get to the Mountain West stuff before we have to leave. But um, it really doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the psychology of being a five seed because typically you know that's the upset seed. So outside of the psychology element or the psychological element, uh, there's nothing. You're facing a 12 versus a 13 and then you're facing the same team if you flip them. It just you're You're essentially playing the same type of team in the first round and then you're playing a top 25 team right. in the second round and that's that's what it is regardless of if you're a four or five they're not going to get a three so it really i mean there's no big variance as you said there's no like you know if they were to get a six or something now it would turn some heads yeah you know but outside of that which i don't think is going to happen you know we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there and and you know next week we'll be able to break down some some teams but just very quickly on the mountain west the mountain west conference um a lot of news coming out. You know, the San Diego Tribune, I believe, came out with a story that Gonzaga is pursuing the option of switching conferences, something that, you know, Wichita State did last year and did very quickly. You know, they, they bolted out of their league immediately, and it has certainly helped them as far as seedings going this year. Uh, but as far as Gonzaga, we always know Mike Roth does his due diligence. We know that Mark Few always does his due diligence. This is nothing new. I'm sure they've done it in the past. It probably seems a bit more viable because the Mountain West makes sense. I just want to, and, and I think that the Mountain West is generally a better con- a conference. I mean, there's, I, there's no oh, arguing yeah. it. But let me just say this. The Mountain West most likely this year is a, a one-bid league if Nevada wins the tournament, you know. Well, and they, as they have been the last couple of years, they've had a rough stretch. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I don't worry about that in the least. Um, I'm just. This is going to be my devil's advocate because I'm not necessarily saying they shouldn't go to the Mountain West if they get an invitation. But here is my. You take my, it and you run and my, you don't look. Here's back. my devil's advocate argument. All right. The Mountain West is not the world's greatest conference, and if you go to the Mountain West, who is the best team in the conference? It's Gonzaga. Gonzaga is the best team in the conference. So you're going from a conference where you're the where you're the best team to now a new conference where you're still the best team. So are you collecting a couple of better wins along the way, or I should say a couple of better games along the way? Of course. And you're filling up the quadrant three rankings instead of the quadrant four rankings, and that will help you a little bit. But if you put them in the Mountain West, well, you're getting this year, more ones and twos too. A little bit. I mean, you know, like Boise State or Nevada and, I mean, San Diego State's a a two this year. So those three, yeah, but most of the Mountain West is in that three quadrant. So it's like, yes, and and it helps. It's better than most of it. I would say that Gonzaga, if they were in the Mountain West this year, and, you know, you'd have to change some things around. But regardless, they'd probably be a three. It's like not the world's greatest difference. And, uh, again, I'm just presenting devil's advocate, okay? 
two, uh, they've been a number one in the WCC. <laughs> they've made it to a national championship in the WCC. They've been very successful there. Now, I'm not saying that Mark Few is one to rest on his laurels and to, to be complacent. I leave that up to Randy Bennett. But besides that, I just I, I, I wonder if there's something bigger out there. I don't know what that is. I don't. They are better than the Mountain West. The Mountain sure. West is better than the WCC, but they are better than the Mountain West. If they go to the Mountain West, I want them to have a larger piece of the – the TV contracts right. and the money similar to what Boise State has in the football side of things. Right. If you want me, you better make it worth my while. So if I'm going to be the top team in this conference, and I agree that it's a better conference than the WCC, I want some more dough, and I want it to be known that I'm the uh, – if I'm going to be the hunted again in the better conference, I'm getting a little more, more cake. Okay, you say all that. Yeah. I'm the Mountain West. I say, you're Gonzaga. We want you. What do you do? If the you money, take, if, if that it, money works you out, yeah, I go. Run. You no, take it yeah, and run. I, I, I'm you just take it and run. I'm and just you don't say, look back. I'm saying that it, the money. I want the money to work out. That's sure. an important sure. thing. Like I want to. I want it to be known that I'm getting more money than everybody else. And in you, the, the and you don't look back. No, I, I agree. I mean, the, the WCC is is worthless for Gonzaga. And, and the one program that was growing in San Diego is now a mess right now. So and I mean, the, you. We can talk about the, what the Mountain West is right now, but we've seen program like I don't I don't think this is peak Mountain West. I don't think you can take what has happened the last year or two and say this is necessarily what you have because San Diego State is down. Um, they were a five bid league a few years ago. Yeah, so you still have that potential. I think it's a huge step up from the WCC, and I think having Gonzaga raises the level for everybody else. You're right, and the the reason why. We're talking Mountain West is because Big East, uh, from a functional standpoint, probably just isn't viable. And that's what makes it difficult. Uh, it'd be great if that worked out. That's everybody's option A. Yeah. Everybody. Um, if there's a dream scenario, it's the Big East. But can that happen? It's tough to imagine that. And so that's why we're at the stage we are right now with the Mountain West. And is it at the level of the Big East? Of course not. Is it at the level that Gonzaga uh, should be competing at across the board, conference-wise, uh, the strength of the teams? No, not necessarily. But it's enough of a step up from the WCC that it makes it a no-brainer from my standpoint. And I think the the conference – I mean – there, there will be years where the Mountain West will be the strongest basketball conference in the West Coast. Pac-12 will have a down year. Mountain West, their teams will come together and uh, kind of reach the level we've seen in previous years. And, uh, I ju and I just want to say, as you mentioned, the Pac-12, I know that's always been like a, a drum that's been beaten. Like, uh, well, yeah, and it just I just want it to be known that it just doesn't make any sense right. for the Pac-12. No it, it just doesn't. Um, so... All that being said, I, I don't. It's I don't really know how much stock to put in this. Um, again, interestingly enough, the only reports we've seen is from the San Diego Union Tribune, and I, I haven't seen anything from the national guys uh, since then, which is a little bit curious. And uh, just from having conversations, you can't help but wonder how much of this is, um, you know, a power play for Gonzaga within the WCC, uh, allowing them to get a bigger chunk of the pie financially from the work that they're doing across the board um, with these other conference teams 
as you've mentioned in the past, putting into soccer programs and not utilizing the yeah. money the way uh, they should and bolstering the basketball programs in a basketball conference. So I, I, it'll be curious to see how this plays out. Uh, the timing of it is, t- is tough because in the most recent article, it said that they were hoping to um, you know, have, a, I guess, some sort of preliminary vote amongst uh, school presidents within the Mountain West, if I have that correct. Uh, that got bumped back to after the Final Four. And when Wichita State made the move, it was like April 7th, so like immediately thereafter, um, scheduling-wise with the fall team, soccer starting in August, um, that is what makes it difficult. So next year, that was something that got people all excited with the initial story. It could happen next year. That looks difficult at this point, um, but you know, over the next month, especially you figure more of the stuff um, – gets talked about as uh, we get closer to the NCAA tournament in the NCAA tournament. Uh, be interesting to see uh, how that kind of comes together. Final and I, thoughts? Yeah, and I just want to mention that with the schedule, there is no rush to do it next year. The TV contracts come up in 2019. Well, there is because I would really like to see it. I, yeah, of course. We all would. But I'm saying that as far as like them going, whether it's next year or the year after, right. the TV contracts aren't up until 2019, 2020. Yeah. So they, they have a buffer year. They're not really up against it. If the ESPN, if ESPN was coming to the Mountain West saying we want to negotiate now our new contract, then they would have to make a decision and say, you guys got to come or leave it out, but we're about to do this thing. So uh, final thoughts is I'm very excited for Selection Sunday. I'm very excited to see where the Zags are heading. My assumption uh, would be number four. We'll see you in Boise. That's my guess. And, uh, you know, who they play, who knows. They're going to play some, you know, mid-major team that's going to, you know, come out guns a-blazing. And, you know, my biggest worry with, with the Zags is, is that first game more than that second game being mentally there and not thinking too far down the road because we see what happens sort of when they get a little lazy, you know. But, um, you know, I, I think I'm feeling good about this team. And it's, it's crazy to see the arc of this squad of how we had such high hopes to start the year. We're like, oh, man, they're going to be, you know, Elite Eight is feasible. And then we're like, uh, never mind. <laughs> and now they really are just coming on strong. I love what the guys are saying. I love the way they're playing. Uh, the front court is emerging as one of the best, if not the best, in college basketball with Williams, Tilly, and Rui. It just seems like things are clicking, and it scares you a little bit mm-hmm. that things are going a little too smoothly. But, um, you know, I kind of I kind of just wonder, and it goes back to the, the whole respecting this team thing, if just everybody in the country was sleeping on the squad they got a little bored. They weren't ready for Nova when they got them the first time around, not nearly defensively. And maybe they were lethargic coming off a really competitive start to the non-conference. But, I mean, when you just go back to that PK-80 tournament, like they're ready for that stage. And I know the yeah. Florida game was an L. But, you know, though you imagine that if Gonzaga is going to lose in a tournament, it's going to be the way they went out against Florida versus the way they went out against Nova. Quick shout-out to the Gonzaga women as well. You talk about confident teams that have to be feeling great going into the tournament. They punched their ticket as well and, uh, um, you know, look very impressive at points uh, during their WCC tournament as well. I think they've lost once since December 9th yeah. to St. Mary's UNLV at game home. Was the, since that UNLV game all the way in December, it was just the same. And was it, that was the game Jill Barta got hurt, wasn't Yeah, Jill Barta didn't play that game. She didn't play that game. So that was, the one, I think, the one game they missed. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad to think about that Gonzaga really dealt with injuries on the women's side of things to start the year. Laura Stockton got hurt. 
Jill got hurt. Emma Wolfram. Emma Wolfram was out for the year before it even started. I mean, they they had to deal, and not to mention they had a lot of freshmen and sophomores. You know, like they had like a lot of lineup changes. They yeah. just were confused, and they finally hit a stride. I would love to see them. Uh, assuming that Oregon gets a two seed, I'd love to see Gonzaga yeah, get a ten. I mean, head out to Eugene, yeah, yeah, and let's yeah. see, let's see, uh, let's see. Not only uh, Lisa sure and Kelly go. I mean, that that would be the least surprising thing in the history of brackets. I'd love to that. see Laura and Adi also. I mean, Adi doesn't get as much time as, yeah. as Laura does, but it'd be it'd be fun to see a couple of bull pups uh, get on the big stage together, and you know, maybe Gonzaga gets put back in that Spokane regional. We know mm-hmm. they they uh, did pretty well the last yeah. time Spokane had a regional. We won't talk about the Tennessee game, but. Uh, so we'll find out Monday. Selection Sunday coming up. We'll have you covered, of course, on Krem 2 News, and uh, we'll be heading out to follow the team. And we'll have a podcast with you or episode uh, for you sometime next week between Sunday and Thursday when the games start. Probably uh, have our debut of uh, Brett Alberry as well, probably maybe the three of us on the road. Hey, if we're making a trip to Boise, we got some time. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>